0: Wow, what an introduction. (laughs) When Jordan gets back in two weeks, I want you to give him the same one. Jordan, Jordan. Oh, what a joy it is. I mean, I was just hit during worship. It's like this life's not easy, but like to get to come here and get to have people like Taylor and AJ write these songs and just captivate our hearts, it's like, man, it's so worth it. What a journey we get to all be on together. It's like, it's truly a joy. to see each and every one of you here, and and it's a privilege of what we get to do together. So there's the start, that's just a nugget, but (laughs) I'm gonna pray and we'll get going. Jesus, I thank you. I thank you that you're mighty to save. I thank you that you're the all-sufficient one. (laughs) I thank you that what you did on that cross was enough for us in every area, God, in every situation of our lives, Jesus. And I just, we exalt you We exalt you, God. As Benji said, you're worthy, you're truly worthy of it all, God. And so we just, uh, God, I ask that you just speak through me tonight, God, that you just open the eyes of our hearts, God, to just receive from you, Jesus, and that your peace that surpasses understanding, God, would unlock our hearts, Jesus, to know you in a deeper way. We love you. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Well, it's uh, it's fun to be up here. It's it's been a little bit. I think the last time I preached at Riverhouse was uh, we were at Hill City, so it's been a couple of years. Um, but uh, I'm excited for, for, for what the Lord put on my heart. I think when they asked me to speak, I was at first kind of like I always have a hard time when, when you, you know do I just muster up a sermon? Do I just think of something that sounds good? I uh, but I always fall back to kind of I have a hard time not preaching anything but what the Lord's done in my life and kind of turn it into a sermon, to be honest with you. I, I just have a hard time pulling on things that, that I haven't personally walked through, or the Lord hasn't personally spoken into in my life. And so tonight, that's what I want to do, uh, if that's okay. It's really been the overarching theme of my life for the last five years, but I really do think it's applicable to us uh, as a church today. Um, and what it is, is it's, it's this concept of peace, the word peace. And what that actually means as Christians, and what a life of peace is. You know, Jesus was, was so about peace. In John 14, he says that he gave us his peace. It's not the peace that the world gives, but it's actually the kind that he gives, meaning that it's, it, it's different. And, our, you know, I, I love studying the Bible and actually digging in because our English language just doesn't quite do justice. The word peace is so much more than just a word that, hey, when, I, when, my, when my head hits the pillow at night, I, I fall asleep quickly that I have rest. No, like peace, if you look at it in the Hebrew, the word shalom, it means tranquility. It means prosperity. It means welfare. And what I, the word that I actually like the most, it means completeness. So when Jesus says, I give you peace, it's not just that he's giving you rest. He's giving you this multifaceted word. It's, 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 he's the prince of peace. He's known as the he's the king of peace. He could be the The king of power and dominion and the the king of the prince of you name it but like he's known as the prince of peace like that's what he reigns over he gives peace you know the gospel it says it's the gospel of peace right it's the gospel of peace Uh, in Ephesians 6, you think about it, you have the whole armor of God, and it's, it's, it's amazing, and you have this sword of the Spirit, and this helmet of salvation, this belt of truth, you have all these amazing things, but what is the foundation that they all stand on? It's the sandals, the gospel of peace. I think there's so much to this word that we lose out on, and even Jesus, when he comes back, if you read post-resurrection, he, he, he tends to just pop up in these rooms with the disciples. And the first word he says, it's fascinating. The first thing he says to him every single time is peace to you. Not prophetic revelation to you, not signs and wonders to you, not power to you, not dominion, not courage, not strength. He literally looks at him and he says, peace to you. It, 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 it's quite captivating. You even think about in the book of Revelation, what is heaven described as? It's the new Jerusalem. You know what Jerusalem means? <laughs> it's the city of peace. Our destiny is a city of peace. It's not a city of, of X, Y, and Z, you name it. It's so easy to, to fill that in. But this idea of peace, it's, gonna, it's our inheritance. It's the streets of peace are what we're going to walk on for all of eternity. When Jesus comes back, he's, he's so focused on saying, no, peace to you. Peace to you. Because there's so much more to it. It's completeness. It's tranquility. It's welfare. And ultimately, it's oneness. And I'll get to that. But this idea of peace, I think it's, it's interesting because if you look in the, uh, the Old Testament, peace was something that you had to perform for. In Leviticus 19, I want to read it. It says that in verse 5, it says, when you, when you sacrifice a peace offering to the Lord, you have to offer it properly so that it will be accepted by the Lord. And if you read Leviticus, it's actually it's pretty fascinating. Peace was something you performed for. And so you, if you were wealthy, you brought a lamb. If you, if you, you know, were of uh, smaller means, you brought a, a turtle dove. But if you read the chapter, it's quite interesting. It's You, you bring the offering to the priest's, and you basically cut it up on the spot and there are certain parts of the body that you put on the altar of sacrifice that remain to the Lord. And then the rest of it, you, you, you cook for yourself. And then it says you have three days to eat it. And if you don't consume it within three days, you're actually, that peace offering's no good and you're back where you started from. And so it's, it's quite interesting that this Old Testament concept of peace was something that you actually had to perform for. But what's even But then Jesus comes on the scene, and the counter to this, you see it in, in I think it's Mark 4, when Jesus is on the boat, you know, and it says he's on the the stern of the boat sleeping, and they decide to push out, and the waves start coming over the edge of the boat, and the disciples are freaking out, and, you know, I think oftentimes you think that, like, the boat, I don't know if it's because in VeggieTales they depicted it like this or what, but... (laughs) But you think of it as like multiple layers, you know, like Jesus is like down below in the bottom of the boat on a cot, sleeping, the waves are coming over. Like in reality, the fishermen's boats, I think were very much one level and like kind of small, you know, and so it's like Jesus is at the back of the boat, he's sleeping, he's probably exposed to the storm just like they are. The water starts going up over the edges of the boat and they start panicking and they wake Jesus up and he comes. And I think it's fascinating the word choice that he uses. He says peace to you. He speaks peace into the storm. These Hebrew boys, these disciples, I mean, they've been in, they've been in the, the, the Hebrew schoolings at a young age. They knew what was required of them to encounter peace and to find peace in their lives. They had to perform. But Jesus, he comes and he breaks their paradigm, as he does like so often in the entire Bible, and he actually speaks peace to the storm and reorientates the way they think. And I think what he shows them is that peace is no longer something that you perform for. It's an inside job. And he speaks it from within him and he calms the storm. And, and I think these disciples, I mean, Jesus could have used a lot of words like stop, like "cloud stop, rain stop, like "storm cease. But he uses this word peace and I think it's a, it, it, the disciples were probably in awe because you know Jesus, whenever he spoke, he spoke with authority. That's what made him different. The scribes, when he sits down and he reads Isaiah 61 as his entrance into ministry, the, the response that the scribes has is, Who is this man who reads the scriptures but he reads it with authority? We've heard these reads so many times before, but like he actually has authority behind it. And so when Jesus speaks, this peace. He, like, shows this new way of authority coming from within. And I think it's quite quite interesting. I heard in the last couple weeks, probably two weeks ago, uh, I heard Bill Johnson say that the enemy is tormented by peace. And it, like, so stirred within me. He was tormented by peace. So Here's Jesus on the boat. He releases what's, on, what's inside of him and he calms the storm and he shows them that peace is something that's contained within. And even wherever Jesus went, you saw it. You saw the demons. If you read the Gospels, it's interesting. Jesus will like come up on a scene where there's a possessed person and before he's, he even has a chance to say anything, they'll like scream out because like, they're so petrified. And they'll, I know who you are. You're the son of God. Like, just, just, just send me into these pigs. Like, don't send me to the, to the pit of hell. And it was like, the enemy is tormented by Jesus. It's like you could, you could like see it when you read it in the Gospels. Oh, oh, son of God, I know who you are. And Jesus would be like, and he'd silence them. And it's like the enemy's tormented by peace. He 100% is. Jesus is the Prince of Peace, and everywhere he went, the enemy was absolutely tormented. You know, and we, we read the verse, and we say it a lot, that God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I think, honestly, for the benefit of us, the enemy is too. He's a one-trick pony. He's the same yesterday today and forever. I, I really think that. And the temptation is the same temptations we see in the Bible. He's still, it's the same that we experience today. I think so often we think that we live in these little isolated environments where like the enemy only attacks me this way, that, that he only preys on me this way. and I'm like, I'll just tell you all right now that like we all experience the the resistance and the attack of the enemy in very similar ways uh, but what he'll do and what he's what he does is that he wants to keep us in the framework that peace is something we have to perform for if he can keep us in there then he actually keeps us from peace you know this the sacrifice in leviticus it was a it's a temporal covering they laid their hands on the animal they went and they 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 did what they needed to do for the peace offering to be accepted by the Lord, but it was temporary. It was like they did it, and then as soon as they finished and they ate that meat within three days, they had to start the clock. And it was like, oh, the further I get away from my act of performance, the smaller the peace is that I experience. Until then, I gotta go back, and I gotta do it again. And I think this is the same. It's the same temptation that Jesus experienced in the wilderness, to be honest with you. It's the temptation to perform. Satan comes to Jesus in the first temptation and says, if you're the son of God, turn this stone into a piece of bread. Perform. And then the second one again, he says, if you're the son of God, you know, throw yourself off this temple and surely not even one of your feet will touch the ground because the angels will pick you up. Forfeit your completeness that you actually have and perform for me. And I think it's the same thing that we experience the way that the enemy comes after us. He wants us to perform. He wants us to engage in acts that cover us temporarily. And he wants us to act in a way that we have to offer properly so that our peace offering will be accepted by God. And I want to make this practical. I think there's two ways in our lives. It's, it's the external and it's the internal. The external is the Christian life. It's the outward expression. It's the, it's the church on Sunday. It's the revival group. It's you with people, right? The enemy comes to you and says, hey, if you can just worship this way and get the affirmation of men and women in the church like this, then you'll finally feel this sense of peace, right? Or if you can just come to enough prayer sets, then finally people will recognize and you'll sense this, this sense of completeness because you performed for it, right? There's all these outward ways that the enemy wants to come and say, hey, come on, come perform for me. Let the world see. Let the church see. Let people in your life see, right? You'll receive the affirmations of, of men and you'll finally find this sense of peace with your, with your spirituality, Right? It's the attack that he comes after us all with. And then it's internal as well. It's, hey, if you can just wake up early enough and you can just spend enough time with the Lord and when you get with him in the morning, if you can somehow get on your knees and even though you're tired and you don't have enough coffee in your system, if you can somehow stir up enough energy to where you feel something, then when you leave, you'll feel like you actually accomplished something and you performed and you can have peace knowing that you're complete now. It's these two avenues, and, and I'll be honest with you, I've experienced them both in my life so deeply. So deeply. Uh, it's probably been five, five, well, a little over five years ago is when it started. I, I was uh, the chaplain at my university in college, um, a student chaplain, and spoke on a, res- a regular basis to 1,000 kids, 1,500 kids, um, and honestly received a lot of praise for it um, and, and a lot of affirmation. and. I did it for two years, and it wasn't until about uh, the end of the second year, right before I was graduating, uh, I felt like the Lord allowed something to happen that just kind of exposed me. To be honest with you, I was uh, I was uh, I was putting on basically like a a worship night at our school, and I had done it the year past, and we'd had like a a well-known All Sons and Daughters. They came, and they like you know there was two thousand kids, and it was like this amazing night, right received so much praise for it and so i was like oh we're gonna do this again <laughs> and so i start reaching out to different like bands or whatnot and i don't know if you know harvest and daniel bashta they're actually like decently well known now um but i'm like oh they're willing to come like first it was just daniel and then i was like oh no we want harvest too so I was like oh well, it's gonna be an extra couple grand i'm like okay that's fine like you know, and so then I go sit to like the, the, the ASB board of the school and I'm pitching them all like why they need to give me 15 grand to do this. <laughs> and sure enough, I, I, I talk them into it. I said it's gonna be an amazing thing. Like last year, we had like 2,000 kids, all the youth groups from around town, they came. The place was full, like kids got ministered to. Like, you gotta give me this budget again. Like, I, like I'm gonna put on a nice thing, you know. And so I'm like, okay, awesome. We get them, they give me the budget. I think they gave me like $15,000 or $18,000. And I'm like, here we go. So a couple months goes by, a lot of planning. They fly into town. It's it's them, but it's also their band of six people. Like I I have to book them all hotel rooms and everything. You know, on the the application to like, oh, how big is your event gonna be? Everything I put, oh, you know, minimum 1,500 people, probably like 2,500. Um, and they're like great so they you know they're here and I'm like I've advertised it and it's been across campus and I'm like all fired up because it's gonna be this good night um, and it's like an hour before and it's like not really filling up and I was like oh, that's okay you know college kids they like come five minutes late just <clears throat> like some of you guys for church <laughs> but uh, but anyways I like I'm in the back I have like catered food for them all. They're all about like eating dinner and like it's, you know, we're 20 minutes from curtain time, right? And (laughs) their manager, you know, he's like, he keeps peeking out and he's like, how many people did you say are going to be here? And I'm like, oh, there'll be at least a thousand people. Like, and and, like Sammy's there with me and I'm just like, hey, like how many people are out there? She's like, there's like two people. And I'm like, oh, it's okay. Like, surely they'll come, right? Surely they'll come. Oh, it's curtain time. Me and the manager kind of like walk out and there's like four people. I mean, and they've spent the last three hours rehearsing. They have like sound systems this tall. The bass is so loud that it's like, it like shakes the building because they're expecting like 3,000 people. Anyways, the manager goes, hey, maybe we should just like push it back to start time, like 20 minutes. I'm like, great idea, great idea. Maybe they'll show. Come to find out, we ended up having a, a pretty private concert for 12 people. Um, yeah, there goes my $18,000 of the school's money for, for 12 students. Uh, the sanctuary sat over 3000 so you can just imagine how empty it felt. The worship started, I literally fell on my knees and I was just like, Whoa, I've never experienced this. Like, Whoa, this is something different. This is different. I didn't realize in the moment, but the Lord was really stripping things down in me. Um, and about three or four months later, I came back to Boise, and we started River House. Um, and Jordan asked me to, to preach, and I've talked about this before. Um, and we were in the dance studio, and there was only about, just uh, in downtown, there was only about maybe 15 of us there, 20 of us there. And Jordan asked me to preach, and I started to talk. And all I can tell with you is, like, I, I hit a wall, and it was like my mouth was just silenced. And, like, I was in front of 20, 25 people that I didn't know. We're starting River House. This is, like, maybe week three. And it's, like, and I'm thinking, oh, yeah, like, I'm going to come do this with my brother. And, like, God's anointed my mouth. Like, I'm here. I have a message. And all of a sudden, I just hit a. And I, like, try to revamp. And I'm, like, all right, well, if I can't preach a message on prayer and I don't have anything, I'm just going to tell my testimony. So then I, like, uh, pivot, walk over here, and I'm, like. And I, like, start to try to, like, tell my testimony because surely I could get that out of my mouth. But, like, bam. And at that point, it was just like, I just put the mic down. And I said, Jordan, I, I'm not supposed to be speaking right now. And, <laughs> I, yeah, it was awkward. Allie was there. She loved it. <laughs> but uh, but it was like this, it was this new season of exposing to me that it was, it, it was just revealing. And simultaneously, I had in my life, it was You know, I was diligent, like A.J. said, like I really did, like I was diligently sought the Lord for for many years and woke up early. But at the same time as both of these in the same six months, rather than waking up at 5 a.m., I started having a really hard time waking up and it would be 7.30 and I would pop up and rather than being this excitement to spend time with the Lord, I'd be riddled with anxiety and I'd have to sit there for 10 minutes and I'd have to sit and I'd have to rationalize with the Lord why I'm actually at peace and why I'm actually, it's okay. And I was very quickly confronted with the fact that I had been performing for my peace. I was quickly confronted with the fact that I took a lot of pride in the fact that I woke up early and I went and I sat with the Lord. And my heart was good in it. But there was this little bit that the Lord was like, you know, I've got to expose this in you. Like, you can't perform for this. You know, and it cuts both ways. I think sometimes we look and we see this, this Christian life from the outside, and, and, and it looks like it, I have to do all of this to be a good Christian. And especially here, I'll be, I'll be honest with you, Riverhouse is a tough culture. There's a lot of very uh, ambitious and hungry people here. So for coming from the outside, you looking in, it can be like very intimidating to be like, man, I don't know if I can perform like that. So what the enemy does is he actually didn't, then you just rationalize and you say, I'm just going to stay on the outside, right? And I'm not going to actually engage with this, where then there's the other side of the, of the coin that I find myself is, you know, you feel the, the need to perform, to find affirmation and peace. And what you do is you just put, you drop a gear and you just put it in overdrive. And it's like, oh, well, I'm just going to run harder. I'm going to put my nose down. I'm going to run faster. I'm going to wake up earlier. I'm going to jump higher. I'm going to worship louder. I'm going to pray more intensely, right? So there's two sides to the coin that the enemy wants there are responses that we have. And mine was just to perform. Mine was just to put my head down. And some of people, it's just, I, I can't engage with that because it's too much. And, you know, the question then is, if, if we're not to perform, like, what are we to do? If we're not to perform for our peace, like, how do we actually get there then? How do I find this concept of peace? How do I find this tranquility, this completeness? How do I find this... This, this, this welfare, this shalom that Jesus talked about? How do I get to this place where, where Jesus was, where he, he was able to speak peace into the storm? How do I, this, if this is an inside job, how do I get there if I don't perform for it? And to be honest with you, for me it was spiritually paralyzing because I got to this point in my life where it was like, I was scared to wake up early. <laughs> I was scared to get on my knees and pray for too long because I didn't quite ever know whether I was performing or not. So it actually crippled me. And I, we moved to Virginia, Sammy and I moved to Virginia for a couple years and it was like, I, the only way I can describe it is that like, I had kind of this glass that which I looked through, like my paradigm, my, my, my faith, my Christianity, my spirituality and it crumbled. And I felt like the Lord was just like, don't try to put it back together, just let it sit there. And I'll slowly by slowly put it back together But it was paralyzing. It can be paralyzing from that perspective and it can be paralyzing from the outward perspective that says, I I don't know if I can handle this and actually look like this. So it kind of keeps you frozen. It keeps you frozen on on the outskirts, but then it can also keep you frozen on the inside because you just, you never quite know. Does that make sense? So I had to ask this question, is it, if I'm not to perform, what am I to do? And I think this is, the, we as a church need to hear this because, like I said, we're a hungry church. We're an apostolic church. We have vision. Jordan is probably one of the most visionary people, or he is the most visionary person I know. So this church, we are always going to run hard. I, I, I can just promise you that. We're we're, we're a bunch of driven people who are hungry for the Lord, and we're going to run hard. But in that, what does that look like to not be people of performance? What does that look like for the people on the outside to not be intimidated to step in because they don't think they can look like that? Or how do the people who are running at the front of it not get dry and weary and end up falling to the wayward side? What does that look like? What do we do if we're not to perform? And I think Paul's like this beautiful example. Paul, like several times, he was the ultimate performer. Two places in the Bible, he goes, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. Circumcised on the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin, I raised up. I knew the scriptures. I trained under the prestigious uh, rabbi. Like, if anyone has anything to boast about, like I, I pursued the church. I was. I tried to. I was going to Damascus. I mean, think about it. Paul was like leaving Jerusalem and like traveling hundreds of miles to the north of Damascus just to try to captive to get captive Christians to bring them back. You know, he was holding the the coat of Stephen when he was stoned to death. It's like Paul was like the ultimate performer until Jesus met him on the road, right? And I wanna kinda like simplify. I think so often like we get this idea that Christianity and our spiritual journey is, is so lofty and there's like all these expectations and I'll be the first one to say like, I struggle reading the Bible like i don't struggle like actually reading it i struggle like actually making it applicable to my life because i'm an extremist like let me be like all here or all here don't tell me i have to sit in any kind of tension because the, i don't do good intention just point my nose where i need to go and i'll be there like i guarantee you but like this is like difficult like and there's a whole bunch of stuff in here that's like really hard to make applicable to your life and it's like it's 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 not it's not cut and dry you know, and so often we listen to preaching and preaching is amazing. And it's like, I'll be I'll be honest, Jordan, like in the way that he thinks and preaches, it's like sometimes I leave and I'm just like, where did you get that? Like, that's like I, I, I'm just like, yes, like it's amazing. But I'm just like, oh, like, I'm, not, oh, man, like you think a different way than me, like sometimes. And it's amazing. Don't get me wrong. Don't tell him I said this either. OK. But, but, anyways, I think sometimes we have to get back to the simplicity of like, what is Jesus ask, actually asking our lives to look like, and what does a life of peace look like? And here's what it is. I, I, it's. I've actually never heard anybody preach on this, and I think I've read over this so many times. But when Paul was called the ultimate performer, this was the. This is what. This is what it says in Acts 22. In verse 12, and and this is, so he he was struck down blind and Jesus says, you know, why do you persecute me, Paul? Why do you persecute me? Who are you? And he's like, I'm the Lord, I'm Jesus of Nazareth. And then, and it says in verse 12, and one uh, Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me, said to me, brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour, I received my sight and saw him. And this is, what, this is what God said. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and what you have heard. This is it. What God is asking of you in your life, it's not for performance. It it looks a million different ways, but I truly believe what he said to Paul, he's saying to all of us, and this liberated me. What he's saying is, you're called to know me, to see me, to hear me, and to be a witness of what you've seen and what you've heard. That's all he's asking of you. He's not asking you to to bring sacrifices of peace offerings. He's not asking you to be like the person next to you. He's not asking you to be me. He's not asking you to be Jordan. He's not asking you to be AJ. He's literally saying, here's what you're called to, and here's what I'm asking you. You are to know me, to see me, to hear me, and then all you have to do is just be a witness of what you've seen and what you've heard. Isn't that liberating? Like, it liberated me. Like, I felt like, oh, I have to be like this mighty man, that I have to cultivate this deep place, and yes, it's that, but like, it's the simplicity of like, no, it's just to see him. It's just to see him, it's to know him. It's to hear his voice, and it's just to be a witness of it. Like, you don't have to witness anything you haven't seen and anything you haven't heard. Like, there's a yoke that God just wants to break off of you. Like, you don't have to perform for him anymore. Like, I swear to you, you don't. Like, I promise you, he's not asking you. He's not asking you to jump through hula hoops He's not asking you to go and, and, and do a backflip. He's not asking you to do, like, that's not who, what he's saying to you. It's not what he's saying to me, and it's it's darn liberating. It's like it, he doesn't put this heavy yoke on us. His yoke is easy. His burden's light, and he's not one. You know what the beautiful thing? He's not one who hides his face. He's one who reveals himself. So it's not like he's for so long. I felt like I had to like claw my way into like just I had to tear the freaking curtain. Like no, I'm not. I don't have to tear the curtain every morning at five a.m. I don't have to come to church and tear the curtain. No, Jesus, you tore that dadgum curtain, and I'm just gonna walk into the Holy of Holies, and I'm gonna see your face, I'm gonna hear your voice, I'm gonna know your ways, and I'm gonna walk out, and I'm just gonna be a witness to it. Like, that's why we're each and every one of us are called to this, because it's so simple. Like, it's so simple, and we love to make it complex. We love to make it complex. I made it complex for too many years of my life, to be honest with you. It becomes so serious, and it becomes this burden. Like, pursuing Jesus isn't work. It's really not. He's water to your souls. He's literally the water that your soul longs for. And the enemy wants to come in and say that you have to somehow perform and earn it. And God's like, no. You think you can add to a thing I did on that cross? You think that you can, anything that you can do to add to that or even take away from it? It's like, no, like, no. He wants you to live in peace, completeness. You're complete. You don't have to add. You don't have to perform. There's no peace offerings demanded on your life. Sorry, I'm getting fired up. (laughs) She taught me. (laughs) And if you're like me, you'd say, okay, I'm going to do these things, but how do I not do them in a way that is out of performance? And for the last five years, I have not been able to get out of John 15. Uh, I have read it through and through. I have colored it in more different colors than I'm colorblind. I can't even tell the difference between them all now. At one point I could be like, okay, that was one point, they just it's a blur now. <laughs> but I have not been able to get out of John 15 for the last five years. And I just want to read a few of the verses. <laughs> Verse one, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Down to four, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit for itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Down to seven, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. A life of knowing him, of seeing him, of hearing him, is a life of learning how to abide in him. I love the word abide. It's probably my favorite word in the Bible. It's my favorite chapter in the Bible. And what it means, there's two words that you can break it down to. The first is to remain and to continually stay, and the second word is to allow yourself to be held. You can look it up in Strong's Dictionary. And that's a life of just simply knowing him and of learning his voice, seeing the righteous one, as it says in Acts. It's learning how to abide, how to remain, how to just sit and to stay. And in the midst of it, to allow him to hold you. I was watching uh, The Chosen with Sammy actually just last night, and it hit me. There's like this scene where if you've seen it, like the whole time, Matthew and Peter are like at war with each other and Peter just like belittles Matthew constantly. And you can see Matthew like tells Philip, he's like, oh, I just don't feel like I belong here. And Philip encourages him just to stay. And throughout like Matthew, like you could tell like something changes in him and Matthew makes this decision. Like I'm just gonna stay in this, you know, there's 10 or 12 people walking around with Jesus through Israel and he just makes this decision to stay and i think that's what it looks like it's very practical the one thing i love about the chosen is it makes it so it, it, it makes it so relatable it injects like the humanness into it and it's not that it's all 100% accurate but it like reads between the lines and i think it stimulates it stimulates for me to be honest and matthew makes this like decision just to stay with the tribe and even though he feels like he's an he's an outcast he stays and he continues to travel with them and i think that's what it looks like it's to stay it's to stay within a river house or the church, if this is your home church or your home church it's to to say i'm going to uh, i'm going to i'm going to lean into the revival groups let's say the smaller communities i'm just going to stay present and then i'm going to i'm going to spend time with the lord and i'm just going to be with him it's this decision that like even if i don't feel it and even if i you know, even in the mornings that I feel like, am I performing? It's just like, no, I'm just gonna sit and I'm gonna stay with you, Lord. And then to allow him to hold you, you know, there's, there's another scene that was right after that in The Chosen, it, and not that I'm like this chosen, like, oh, it's the best thing ever, but it, honestly, it just like impacted me. And they're all like, leave the camp, and it's like two by two, the disciples, and they're like, big James, get up there and push the wheelbarrow. And it's like, just funny to think like that. Um, But then, like, Peter kind of, like, slows down and, like, pulls Jesus to the back of the pack, and he's like, so, Jesus, you know, like, you like to go away for a couple days at a time, and, like, you know, when you leave, when you're here, you know, there's authority, there's a structure, but, like, when you're gone, like, I think there needs to be one, so, like, I think I'm your guy, like, you know, like, give me the authority to, like, lead these tribe of goons, right? And Jesus just looks at him, and he goes, Peter, you have a strong calling, you're a leader." but it's just not time yet. And it was like, that is a picture of Jesus holding you. Like it's staying and remaining when it's not, not easy, but it's also like allowing him to hold you to where you like, it, you were made to like know what his hands are like. Like you were, you were made to like, you think about to be held. It's like the contours of his chest, like you were made to know him. And to be known by Him. And this abiding, I think, like, this is it. Like, for me, this has been it. Like, I have to learn how to, like, continually remain when it's comfortable and when it's not. But also, there's, like, this intimate level of, like, I think the only way the Lord was able to break the performance off me was to me saying, okay, I yield to you. Like, you can hold me. Like, you can hold me. And I can tell you, I've had mornings where, like, I just pull up the chair And before, it would be like this, oh, who do I need to pray for this morning? Who do I need to battle for? It's like I pull up the chair and I just say, like, Father, I know you're sitting on this chair and I know you're proud of me, and I'm just gonna lay my head on your lap and let you hold me for the next hour. And and so I get on my knees and I just lay and I just say, hold me, because I think the only thing that's gonna break this performance off of me is when I learned to just actually surrender to where I actually learned the contours of your chest. That I, that I, I like, like John and Patmos, like he saw Jesus. Like, I wanna see your face, but I just have to yield, and it's uncomfortable. And I wanna get here and I wanna produce so that when I leave, I can look back and be like, ooh, I'm at peace. I'm complete. Look what I did this morning. Look at the time I spent. Oh, yeah, an hour 45. That was pretty nice. Like, no. <laughs> Like the Lord had to break it down for me, like Riley. No, you just have to learn how to be. Abide in the vine, and you'll bear much fruit. I'm the true vine. Jesus is the vine. My father's the vine dresser. Those who abide in me bear much fruit. You don't even have to do anything. Like, I mean, this is the this is the whole tension thing, right? Like we're co-labourers, but like, <laughs> that's in the back of my head while I say this. But like, he's the vine. Like, you just have to attach yourself. The branches that are just attached to the vine bear fruit. And you don't even have to do the pruning. The Father's the, the vine dresser. Like if you just attach yourself, He'll actually come and do the pruning. He actually prunes the one who bear fruit so they'll bear, so they'll bear more fruit. So there's not even this yoke on us that we have to, like, prune ourselves. You know, introspection's amazing, but I can tell you, I went too far on the introspection journey. And you start looking at everything inside of yourself, and you're like, what's wrong? What needs to change? I'm broken. I need wholeness. And, like, yes, we need wholeness. But, like, can I tell you it's his job to bring wholeness in your life? Like, can I tell you that it's his job to bear fruit in your life? Honestly, if you read John 15, like, your job is to attach yourself to the vine. That's Jesus. Jesus. And at the end of it, he says that I tell you this so that my joy might be in you and, my, and your joy would be complete. It's like, oh my gosh, I've been looking at this so wrong. Like so wrong. We, I put this heavy yoke on myself and I think we do too that like there's this, we're in a pressure cooker. Like sometimes I feel like you walk in the sanctuary. I bet you some of you, I felt that it's a pressure. Like there's just, there's just this, this, this Christian pressure to be, to be like Jesus, to be honest with you. There's a pressure to see, in a community like this, I'll be honest, it can be that you feel pressure that you need to see miracles in your life, that you need to see signs and wonders, that you need to hear the voice of God, and like, yes, they're all amazing things, but can I just like break off the yoke that like, yes, but just, just attach yourself to Jesus. Like back to what Paul is, you are called to know him, to see him, to hear him, and then you just get to go witness what you've seen and heard. Like, I just feel like the Lord was like, just tell them that that's all I'm asking of them. And if you'll do that your whole life, you'll see miracles, you'll see signs and wonders, you'll hear his voice, you'll see heaven invade earth. (laughs) To abide is to become one with him. As we allow him to hold us, as we remain in his presence, as we sit continually and we don't run from community, we become one with him. A life of peace is a life of oneness with Jesus, and it comes through abiding. And when you abide, then you simply just get to go out and you get a witness. You get a witness the beautiful man of Jesus that you look at. You get a witness as you behold him. You get to then go witness. And I'll tell you this world needs a whole lot more Christians who witness about what they've seen and what they've heard and what they've experienced and the man of Jesus that they know. They don't need to hear and see of all the things they need to do and all the wrong in their life. We owe this world encounters with Jesus. And I think the only way we give it to them is if we learn how to abide. Ephesians two fourteen says this. Lost my place. See if I can remember where Ephesians is. Colossians. Ephesians, right? No. Somebody tell me what book it's after Galatians, Ephesians, there we go. (laughs) Two fourteen. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, the wall of performance. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man, one new woman in the place of two, so making peace. A life of peace is a life of oneness with Jesus. And I think the Lord is releasing and breaking off the heavy yoke of what it is to be one with Him. It's just learning how to abide, it's learning how to, how to remain with Him and to allow Him to hold you. And from that, seeing Him, hearing His voice, and getting to be a witness of it. You know, abiding is not performance and i think that's what i had to wrestle with. It. God, if i'm if i'm choosing to abide in you am i just further performing performance you try to earn something you can't earn anything abiding is what you were made to do. You were born to abide in the arms of Jesus. You were born to see him. You were born in, to know him and to be known by him. And I feel like he's just, there's this invitation tonight into just a deeper way of knowing him. I feel like he, the picture that I kept seeing when I was praying for tonight is you know, an air compressor. I don't know for anyone who's used one, you turn it on and it fills this chamber with air. And you can pump up your tires or whatnot. Um, and then after you pump it up, there's a little release valve and you can release the, the air out of it. Um, so that the air in the chamber doesn't stay there for like a long time and wear it out. And I feel like that's what the Lord wanted to do tonight. I just feel like the Lord, there's just been this built up of pressure and demand that we have to perform for for Jesus. That this Christian life for some way is, is a performance. That there's like this heavy yoke on you that you need to perform. And whether you're in it and you're like running and you're like, oh my gosh, so much of what I do, I'm realizing is in performance or whether you're on the outskirts and you're looking in and the thing that's kept you back from engaging is performance. I feel like the Lord just wants to pull the release and like release pressure tonight. And he just wants to reaffirm the fact that what he's called you to is to know him. It's to see him. It's to hear him. And it's to be a witness. This Bible, this, all this is, you look at the new Testament, that's all these apostles were. They were men that followed Jesus that they stayed long enough for him to hold them and to change their lives. And then they went and they just testified of what they saw and what they heard. That's all this book is. In the moment, I don't think they were, think they were doing anything supernatural. They just sat with Jesus and they remained. And they went out and they told people of the man that they, became, they came to know. And so I just feel like I'm just gonna invite the band, invite Age back up, and we'll just close with a little time of ministry. The prayer team can come up, and if this resonates with you, I just really feel like the Lord just has a, 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 He just wants to release the pressure that you feel over your Christianity, over your spirituality in general, that it's a light yoke, that it's a light burden, that what He's asking of you is not to add to the cross. He's not asking you to perform for peace. He's not asking you to bring a peace offering. He's asking you, will you come, will you remain, and will you just let me hold you? Because if you do, I swear I'll show you my face. I swear I promise I'll teach you what my voice sounds like. I promise you I'll show you my ways. Psalm says that Moses knew my ways. God doesn't show partiality, he'll show you his ways. And then you'll just get to go and testify and be a witness of the man that you've come to know and to see. Mm, So the prayer team can come up. Everyone just wants to stand up. I'm just gonna pray for us. Mm, Turn the lights down. We just welcome you here, Prince of Peace. Jesus, we just thank you tonight that what you did was all sufficient and that we get to come underneath God and that we get to enter in the Holy of Holies because you tore that veil, Jesus. And I thank you that your yoke is easy and your burdens light. And I thank you, God, that you don't show partiality. Lord, I thank you that what you're calling to us tonight is a simple, the simple calling and it's just to know you and to be known by you. And so tonight, God, I ask that you'd break performance off. God, I ask that you'd break it off in this house, that you'd break it off corporately, God. Lord, I ask that you'd break it off individually. Lord, and I thank you that you're a God, that when we humble ourselves, you exalt us at the proper time, God. And so, Lord, I just, Lord, we humble ourselves before you tonight, Jesus. And we just come underneath your leadership. Hmm. We come underneath your leadership, Jesus. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. And we say, here we are, Lord. Here we are, God. Hold us tonight, God. Teach us how to abide, Jesus. Teach us how to abide in the vine, God. We want to know you. We want to see the righteous one. We want to hear your voice, God. Introduce yourself in a new way to us tonight, God. Teach us what your hands feel like, God. Reveal Yourself to us in a new way, Lord. Mm. Mm. Yeah, God, and just release Your peace. Fill us with peace tonight, God. A completeness, God. A tranquility, a prosperity, God. Hmm. What a joy it is to know you. What a joy it is to live our lives, God. Liberated, liberated from the performance of this world. Thank you that you give us a peace that this world doesn't give. And because of it, we can take heart because you've overcome it, Lord. So we just bless you tonight. I would just encourage you if you feel like the Lord's pulling on your heart to come forward. Let someone from the prayer team pray over you. We're just gonna keep worshiping. I really do feel there's a liberation in the room tonight. I would encourage you to lean into it. If you haven't pressed into this community because you feel like it demands too much from your life and that you have to perform at a higher level than you think you're capable of, I just wanna break that off right now. And I just want to tell you that you belong here. If you've been running hard after Jesus and you feel weary and that you have no more strength, I just feel like the Lord just wants to give you a new strength. He wants to liberate you from the performance and he wants to just show you his face in a new way tonight. And so we just bless you, and if you got to go, we totally bless you as well. Amen.